think it was great and purposeful onboarding. So it wasn't just a random, here's how you use Clubhouse. But I, you know, for us and Tyler, from the time that I was in there, at least, you know, and I'm sure even prior, just gave really good context about, you know, what we do in this space. So it was awesome. So just an interesting tidbit, I joined the Android Users Clubhouse one for India and uh, they're doing the whole room in, in vernacular, which is Hindi and uh, other languages. So that's interesting. Yeah, I joined one of those too. In fact, there's a South India club as well, which uh, I think was trying to do it in Tamil. Oh. Uh, and there's another one happening tonight. So exciting stuff. Great. Hey, cool. Tyler, are you there? Right. I'm here. Okay, Let's do it. Uh, top of the hour. Let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> let's do this. So um, welcome, everybody. And then today, apparently, the beautiful thing about today, first of all, happy Friday to everybody. And I can't believe it's Friday again. My God, the weeks go fast woo, here in, woo. Club, in tech news around the world. And um, today is a special day for Clubhouse because today up is the day they plan to have Clubhouse for Android launched in India and international. So is this another opportunity for karaoke? Oh, yeah. Can you sing Hindu? Can you sing Ur Urdu? <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to get, um, it's going to get things. Hopefully, we'll get um, beautifully out of control uh, as the rest of the world starts onboarding. Uh, now that there's essentially no more barriers, like it's if it's on, it's in Android in essentially every country, although honestly, we have to pause and, um, you no, know. they did tweet out it's, it's live all over the world. Right. Well, not in China and probably not North Korea and a few other places that should be in our minds and in our hearts. And uh, they, but I'll, I'll, for those who are Which joining. Which is ironic. Yeah. Since we're essentially talking through China. Yes, it is. There is that. There is that. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, it is ironic indeed. Um, so. But, you know, we're, we're, we're less focused on the positive because so many people that, you know, haven't been able to join now those walls. It's almost like the Berlin Wall going down in Can a way. Can I do a quick it? sound check? Is anyone speaking? Yep. I'm speaking yes. and you're speaking too. We hear you. Yep. Okay. But no one is. I, I, I've just never experienced this much silence in this room. So I feel like it's my app. <laughs> It might be. The app is glitching for Android and iOS at the same time. Uh, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. Tyler has been speaking yeah. continuously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've been speaking the whole yeah. time, Lakeisha. Maybe try restarting the app, closing the app and restarting it I would be my recommendation. Yeah. Maybe it's just a Friday morning where people are more silent. No. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> I, I, you know what I'm going to yeah. do? I have, there's a tool that everyone can look at uh, called clubhub.site and on the front uh, page, you can see how much how many people are in Clubhouse right now, and it is much higher. It's higher than normal, yeah, right now. Um, and so are the number of rooms are a little higher than normal. Also, you can see the number of rooms right now, which is ninety one in English, and the number of people in English is about eight thousand at the moment, and that's uh, about thirty percent more than normal. Um, but Fridays are also a little bit higher than normal, so. We'll see how it develops over the weekend and next week. It'll def it takes you know days and even weeks for people to onboard. So let's see what they how come here. They see good content and then they stay. If they don't see good content, they leave straight that's, away. That's, that's what we found have. last time. So let's get yeah. into the content. Let's get into the content. Here we go. So 
One right. second. We, ah. we do have as many users in the first five minutes of this room as the clubhouse HQ room that's going on right now. Yeah. Okay. But it'll yeah. this room will double the in the next hour easily. So, um, but only if we get into good content, as Gal's saying. So let's do yep. that. And it's, it's within. Yeah. So the first story that I have, and we just shared it in the little warm up room, and we touched on it briefly yesterday. Is Twitter is rolling out its new verification program with revamped categories that includes artists and journalists and previews upcoming changes to profiles it's not exactly live yet but it should be any any moment now and so you can apply to get the little blue check mark and join the elite blue check mark club in twitter and the reason you might want to do that other than you know your own ego perhaps and and you know bragging to your mom perhaps is that when Twitter has their own version of Clubhouse now called Twitter Spaces, and in Twitter in in Clubhouse we are on stage together. There's currently 26 people on stage, and then underneath the stage you see the followed by speakers area with Poppy and Carl and Yemi and Thomas and Miriam, and then and then there's the audience after that section with with Gigi and Matthias and Adi and Odie and then and Susie and then. In Twitter, it's very different. There's no separation at all. There's just people who are speakers and then listeners, and there's no gap between them. So there's not three separate sections. However, people who have the blue check mark in Twitter land are instantly raised to the very top uh, next to the speakers. So they're seen by everybody in the whole room uh, in their screen. And then, if you know, the screen is not very big on your phone, right? So most people are below the screen and not seen unless you scroll down. But people with blue check marks are seen on the screen right next to the speakers. So that's the best reason I've seen that anyone would want to have a blue check mark is the speakers see you right next to them. Everyone sees you right next to them. And you're more likely to be selected to speak if you raise your hand to speak in Twitter this the person who's control, who's you know who owns that conversation or that room is going to think oh well this person's already been verified by twitter i don't have to worry that they are fake or they're they're going to say something ridiculous or you know so it's uh, it makes it easier for people to accept you as a speaker inside of their version of clubhouse so that's i think that's why they're bringing it back on, by the Tyler, way yes go ahead quick question sorry how, how do you get that check mark again because I, 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 I don't have followers as many as that's right. you or anyone else i just tweeted the link to it from the tech news around the world twitter account which is very simply t n a t w which you can see by clicking on the title of this room we're in here just click on the title you'll see the tech news club page which includes our schedule it includes all the upcoming events which there's many but upcoming it's events. me it's for us it's, it's for us i know and yeah, I know, but I'm telling, I'm talking to the whole audience. Yeah, <laughs> and then you will see the uh, the also the Twitter handle uh, T N A T W, and you'll see if you go to the Twitter page, you'll see my most recent tweet is all of the details about how to apply for the blue check mark. But keep in mind, it's not live just yet; it should be in the next few days, and and I'll I'll give an update when it is live. And I'll tweet it from the Tech News Around the World Twitter account. So follow there if you want to be one of the first to be notified. And by the way, we do also now do uh, Tech News Around the World Twitter Spaces, which we did one last night as a test with many people uh, uh, like Cheryl and others were there. 
and it's still buggy, still needs work. The beautiful part is you can now schedule events in the future. So I scheduled one for Sunday. And you'll also see that if you go to the Tech News Around the World Twitter account, you'll see there's a tweet that says, hey, there's going to be a Tech News Around the World in Twitter Spaces on Sunday. So you can follow that and get notified when that goes live if you want to see what Twitter Spaces is like. Um, quick, so, quick question on that, yeah. Tyler, on uh -huh. the, the Spaces and the check mark. There's a limited amount of space, especially on the phone at the top of the screen, that show the current spaces. Right. And as sort of rooms increase and get more popular, right. there's, you're going to be fighting for priority to get to the front of that list, even on the desktop. And I wouldn't be surprised if Twitter ends up prioritizing verified um, moderate rooms that have uh, been opened by verified people as opposed to non-verified people, if that makes sense. That makes more than sense. That is a brilliant observation. And what you're saying is, for the, let me unpack that because that's a very important point you're making, as Carl very commonly does, that anyone can make a Twitter space now. It's open to everybody, I, I, re, I believe, um, or at least people in the U.S. And what he's saying is uh, because there's tens of millions, actually, there's hundreds of millions of people in Twitter, 250 million people or so. So that's a lot of rooms if everyone starts making rooms there. So how will they prioritize which rooms get more visible? And what he's saying is, is if you have the blue check mark, your room will probably get precedence and more visibility over the rooms of people who don't have blue check marks because you're verified. And he's, I bet he's right. I bet they are going to do that. So um, another fantastic, uh, that's probably the best reason of all to get trying apply to get approved. But my point is, I, I don't, I think, is it a coincidence that, they're launching Twitter spaces now, and they're also bringing back verification. I think it is not at all a coincidence. I think it's, it's those two things go hand in hand precisely for that reason that Carl mentioned, because it will help the, the people who organize those rooms to decide who to bring on stage, because they'll bring up people who are verified. And very soon, unverified people are going to be looked at as, hmm, who's this? It's kind of risky to bring this person up. They're not verified. Is this a fake account? What is this? So, um, I think, I, I, honestly, I feel like it's long overdue um, that they bring this back. And uh, um, yeah, and I, I, I mean, I'm not the only one, but I, you know, when I used to have lunches with the Twitter founders, the, I, the, my, what the very first thing, it was back when the company was only, you know, 25 people. I thought verifying people from the beginning was a super important thing, even back then, when there was only less than a million people on Twitter. I was like, you should do it now before. And that's why I got verified. I was like one of the first people to ever be verified because I was saying internally, like verifying people is going to be critically important on this app um, because you're, you know, you're going to get all the celebrities in here and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they just made it a very manual process. Um, and they say they say that it still is manual even now, uh, which that's going to be interesting. Of course, they're going to outsource it. And I'll bet money they're outsourcing it to my friends uh, called Taskus in Manila, where they have a team of 30,000 plus uh, humans there who do all of the content moderation for the social network apps, many of them. And, um, and that team there is probably going to be very busy adding uh, and approving all of the blue check marks to everybody in the in the weeks and months to come. I just have one question, Tyler. Go ahead, Justin. Um, when you were having lunches with the Twitter founders, yeah. was Greg Duffy there too? <laughs> Greg was not there. This was at <laughs> this was at the 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 OG Twitter HQ before they became a big corporate 
you know, entity. It was still a startup. It was still very vulnerable at the time. And it wasn't even, I mean, there was a lot of excitement, like, like Clubhouse is now this exciting startup. Like, is this going to work or not? You know, in the same way that we wonder, is Clubhouse going to work still? People are debating, oh, uh, you know, things could go wrong. Uh, Twitter could kill it. Uh, who knows? It was like that. It was like, this has all the potential in the world. This could be absolutely game changing or it could get killed. <laughs> Just like Clubhouse right now. It felt like that. Did, back then. Didn't it take a while too, if memory serves? Yeah. Well, Twitter originally was all SMS only. There was no app. It, it, Twitter came out before the iPhone. So imagine trying to do Twitter without an iPhone <laughs> with a flip top phone. And it was just pure SMS. And you would get these SMS updates, you know, like when we used to SMS each other as friends. And you're like, oh, this friend is, you know, doing this and then doing that. And then it became a web browser based thing where it was a little box that you could live, you know, uh, on a web page and anybody could embed it on any web page. And so what people were doing was they had a little Twitter box on their blogs and their little Twitter box showed their most recent tweets. That was the first versions of Twitter. It's like, oh, here's my little Twitter box. It's like my little micro uh, blog uh, where I say what I've done, you know, an hour ago, two hours ago, three hours ago, four hours ago. And it was very cute. But the content was not news by any means because there was only, a, you know, less than a million people using it. And the content was, you know, people sharing where where they are. I'm at I'm at the the hardware store buying hammers, you know, for some project. I mean, that was your typical kind of tweet back then. And many, there was a, a an incredible amount of critics saying this content is useless. Why isn't this is not going to work? In fact, my, the, my girlfriend at the time and who we lived together for years is a, was a, a quite well-known news reporter. And she was very, even though she's in the news business and I was telling her, because I uh, I was, you know, it was possible I might join the Twitter team very early. And she was like, don't don't join Twitter. It's not going to go anywhere. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's going to change the news. And I said to her and to, you know, who Keith Olbermann is. I know Justin does. So Keith's girlfriend is named Katie Turr, who was my girlfriend's best friend. And I told Katie, you better tell Keith to get on Twitter because this is going to be bigger than email. And then they started laughing at me. Ha, ha, ha. You think it's going to be bigger than email? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I was like, you, you, you think you're a journalist? You don't see what this is going to do to journalism? Like, you guys are just totally clueless. Like, this is going to change things in a very big way. And then what are they saying now with Trump, you know, doing, you know, changing, uh, you know, I, I think you would argue that Twitter probably is more impactful than email these days. So anyway, um, you know. Uh, these platforms, uh, uh, Tyler. Tyler, yeah. that context is so helpful because from the other side, like being in a large corporate at that time, right? Everyone rejected Twitter in the early days, and you know, and just to put context on on new Clubhouse users here today, or or just generally Clubhouse, everyone's talking. It's one year old Clubhouse, right? And everyone's talking about oh no, you know, content. Uh, some of the same things you're talking about, right? And the, and and also the people are in a rush to get the corporates in here. I remember at Best Buy. We rejected, like the marketing chief marketing officer at the time, Barry, just rejected Twitter. And then he went on and he became one of the biggest Twitter users out there because he jumped in, right? One of the first. And then our employees started jumping in, the Geek Squad guys jumping in with 12th Force. I don't know if anybody in the you, you remember 12th Force. It was like a, a Twitter service, so free service to repair computer uh, problems. So like you just started off, you know, and you, 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 you tweet 12th Force and... 
a geek would come on right from one of the stores or one of their cars or whatever and and solve the problem and that fizzled out in fact that was so big for us at the time that everyone would talk about oh look at these guys ahead right and it was all an experiment and we ended up putting it on uh on the Super Bowl ad, actually, That's we had right. this like a thousand. I don't know if you remember uh, Amy or Amy or somebody, right? Like about a thousand people in the audience, and we had this person shouting, and that was to show yep, I remember that, that you know we were on, yeah, we were on like twelve force, but all of that just fizzled out. So context is so important because what might seem really big and the only application today, there might be a whole new thing tomorrow. This is the beauty of this stuff, right? So Tyler, that's good context. Yeah. Well, Tyler, were the verification categories the same uh, last time you did it, or have they updated that? There was no categories. I mean, when I did it, it was two thousand, you know, very early two thousand nine ish, and there were no categories. It was, and I, I think if you weren't friendly, uh, and I did it the day they originally started it because they knew I was saying that like, you need verifications, you need verifications. And then when the day they opened verifications, I mean, in the first 10 minutes, I was like, okay, yeah. They, they pinged me like, hey, you know, we're doing verifications. They're like, great, verify me. Okay, easy peasy. And before there was a wave of people, you know, it took time for people to realize it was even open. And then everyone applied and they realized, oh, shit, we can't handle this level of, you know, people wanting to be verified. And it was too big of a headache. And there wasn't, uh, you know, they just figured we'll do it on an as-needed basis you know, when Justin Bieber comes on or whatever. Right. And um, so now they're structuring it, you know, so that they can send it to different teams. So right now, I, as I said, there's like four different categories. There's there is a category for journalists. There's a category for, you know, significant people of some kind. And you need uh, three different sources that uh, three different websites that talk about you to kind of verify that you are a person of note noteworthiness. And because of the different categories, uh, different teams are set up, obviously, for each category. So there's going to be a team who's going to verify only journalists, because that's one of the categories. And they are going to be able to uh, get a sense for, you know, rather than trying to verify all the different types of people, if they get more specific about the categories, and there's that makes it much easier for those teams. So they're just getting more structured about it now, but th those didn't exist in the past. But like I said, I, I really the real reason is because the uh, you know the Twitter Spaces is rolling out, and I think Carl discovered a great one, and then uh, and I imagine there will be others, which is they it's a huge headache for them to do this, and they've known that they should have done it now for over a decade. So the fact that they're doing it now means it's actually important that they do it now internally, um, which yeah yeah I, I'm glad they're so, doing it. Yeah. So I have another question, and yeah. it was actually fascinating tyler you telling the evolution of twitter um basically this new technology comes out nobody knows what it is and then it kind of evolves almost into its own thing um <clears throat> when we're looking at the competition between twitter and clubhouse in in your opinion do, does it give clubhouse an advantage that it, it doesn't have these guardrails that twitter has where people are going to kind of use twitter spaces in a similar way that they use Twitter where clubhouse, they just, we don't know what it is and, and there's more freedom there. Um, no, I don't think that's the main factor. I think the main factors are going to be um, whoever embeds their rooms, whoever makes their rooms embeddable 
like YouTube videos where you can take a link to the room and go embed it on another blog. Whoever does that first, I think, is going to win because um, um, remember when Cal was talking about companies coming on board. Um, right now, where there's this interesting moment, uh, Clubhouse is in that interesting moment where companies aren't really sure about it yet. The, some of the uh, some of them are watching it very closely. Many are not. But do you remember when Twitter all of a sudden it became every company on the planet started putting their Facebook and their Twitter account on every advert that they had and on every it was like, my God, it seemed like it was everywhere for a while. Um, and everyone wanted the social media boom. Right. Um, so that could happen. But it's hard to do that with Clubhouse today because what are they going to say? Here's our URL to our Clubhouse club. You know, it's this very long text URL. That doesn't work. You need a short little name like Twitter had. Like, here's our Twitter Twitter handle name. And that was a key innovation because it's very shareable. You know, it's like our uh, Best Buy. What was Best Buy's Twitter handle, Carl? At Best Buy? Yep. As, yeah, right, yep. right. Piece of cake. Okay, great. At Best Buy is on Twitter. Okay, great. Now I can follow them if I want. What is the Best Buy uh, Clubhouse club name? Uh, Best Buy. It, Right, that's the name of it. I own it, but I, I own it. Oh, They're right. going to come after me very soon. <laughs> They're going to come after me very soon. <laughs> but I can't, that's not useful to me because I can't necessarily find that, right? So you have a link, a URL to that, which is like uh, joinclubhouse.com slash QR percentage sign 20, 20, 50, 60, 70, 85, QR, 8, capital F, lowercase Q, V, D, W. That's, the, that's actually the link to your club. That's a problem because they they should do what Twitter did is somehow make cute little names in the URL that make it very easily and clickable for people to get to your club and follow your club the same way Twitter did. So, um, so Tyler, it's a it's a sore point for, for me at the moment. The Mastercard brand is currently being cyber squatted as exactly. a club name on Clubhouse. So right. it's a it's a real problem, and there is a process so if anyone needs to understand if they've got a brand that's being cyber squatted and it's inappropriate use they've got the copyright the uh, yeah. ping me a ping me a note because there is clubhouse to solve for that you've got that but then when 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 youtube was starting they were struggling until uh roloff gave uh, as i recall gave them the brilliant suggestion um why do people need to come to YouTube as a destination? Why not bring YouTube to them, wherever they are on the Internet, and make the player, the video player, embeddable? So you can take it out of YouTube land, embed it on wherever the blog, and that's free visibility and um, um, distribution. So the whole world can see YouTube all over the Internet. And but when they click the YouTube logo, it'll take them to YouTube as a destination. And over time, they will learn to treat YouTube as a destination. It's very hard to do in the early days when you're a startup to become the destination. So Clubhouse, same thing. This room that we are in, let's just say James is doing a, a MasterCard you know, type fintech room. And he could embed that on MasterCard's website and on all of all of everywhere, all over the Internet if you wanted to. But I think the best use case is, Every article and every blog post that people are doing, if, if Cal writes a blog post about, you know, his, you know, his years uh, running Best Buy at the bottom of that room, he'd be like, great. Now let's talk about this article. And Cal's sitting there and you can you just read the article and now you can talk to Cal about it. 
and there's 20 people in there and some of his former employees and, you know, other people asking questions. And, you know, that to me is the, the real future of things, because after you read any blog post, naturally, you've got some questions and you've got thoughts of your own. And now we use comment boxes, which no one's using anymore because they're garbage and you get no real benefit out of leaving a comment like no i don't know many intelligent people who leave comments it, surprisingly it seems like only ridiculously uninformed people uh, are leaving comments and that whole system is just sort of broken but uh, a room there especially in the context of like uh 60 minutes just did these this huge video about ufos and everyone's talking about the six the, the ufo videos and it was kind of international news in the past 48 hours about all of these UFO sightings in the, by the Navy in America, if at the bottom of that uh, post on, on the 60 Minutes webpage, why is there not a clubhouse room with the journalists and the editor and the people who are in the video from the Navy telling their first-hand accounts? What if they're in that room? And we could talk to them like, did you really see these UFOs? That is the ultimate, ultimate game changer from my perspective. And every tech article that comes out every day, I mean, tens of thousands a day, every public, every news site on the planet, every article they write should have a, a, a clubhouse room like this one that we're in now at the bottom of it. And the question is, is that going to be a Twitter space or is it going to be a clubhouse room? And, well, I won't be using it if it's Twitter. That's all I know. Well, here's, like, the, th I just hate Twitter. Well, here's the thing, though. Twitter already because my friend Jane uh, in Hong Kong is always the one who f announces what products Twitter's working on before everyone else. Um, she about three days ago found, as she's always known for doing, um, that Twitter now Twitter Spaces now works in a browser. Uh, it's in beta, and so you you can't see it yet. But if you go to Twitter.com, you log into your account. You can they now have it functioning in a browser, and that is the necessary step. That means it's it's the code works in a browser. You can now take that code and embed it in another web page very easily. That's trivial. So uh, the the Twitter apparently is already um, eighty percent of the way there technologically, uh, and it's quite a simple step to just uh, export the code and embed it in another web page. And the next thing you know, those rooms are popping up all over the internet, just like YouTube videos. I, but I, I, if I was Clubhouse, that would be my number one priority right now, because that's what's going to drive people. Because, by the way, what if you read the article, you see the little Clubhouse room, people discussing the article. Oh, you want to join the conversation, too? You want to listen in? Great. Just click this button and join Clubhouse. And now you, you think people are signing up quickly now? Oh, oh holy shit. You know. Um, Tyler, I do believe the existence of Club Deck proves that it can't be that technically far off for, for Clubhouse either. To a degree, yeah. It's, it's a different, it's a, a slightly different coding. Yeah, but the, if they, um, yeah, it, it, you're right. It, it proves that it's doable, of course. Yeah, of course, technically it's possible. Yeah, anyway, so. Um, the key thing that, the key thing I think is missing at the moment is that we've, you know, I, I think we are all converts to the idea that. Uh, drop-in audio chat is a format we believe in. That's why we're here. Uh -huh. I think the interesting thing for me is, like to your point, Tyler, which of these platforms is going to be the the winner? Uh, is it going to be a, a hero takes all, or is it just going to be distributed across different social media networks as others build what they want to do and, and people find their audience there? What's missing for me is is the as a producer or a creator, if you like, 
is a hero app that allows me to kind of manage all simultaneously. Yep. Um, I think, you know, you and I have converts maybe recently to Club Deck, which allows us to stream elsewhere. Yep. It doesn't allow you to, made, uh, to manage stages elsewhere. So effectively what I've, I've stuck in the mode of at the moment is I can host the room on Clubhouse. That's where I manage a stage. That's where people come up and, and contribute to the conversation. Yeah. Um, but effectively, all other channels that are receiving the feed are in listen-only mode and, and can't contribute in that, yeah. that platform. I, so I think there's something I, that brings it all together, I think, would really help. Yeah, I've talked with Florina specifically about that, uh, about the idea of uh, create where one instance and simulcast to the other platforms. Um, and, and, and there's two, there's actually two things to consider there. You know, we make a, a room you know, in, in Club Deck and it gets simulcasted to Twitter spaces and the Clubhouse room and LinkedIn's new spaces and Facebook's new spaces and and Spotify's new spaces and whoever else might come with, uh, up with these later. Um, that's one possibility. But the other is also true is as a as a listener, uh, there's going to be rooms in Clubhouse and Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and Discord and uh, and 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 why. I can't use all those apps simultaneously. So couldn't somebody make a, a an aggregator app that pulls in the rooms from all of those apps uh, into one mega hallway. And, and then I've got, you know, um, all the rooms across all the apps that I can browse all from one app as, as an aggregator. I, I have to imagine well, it'll be interesting to see which of those platforms allow uh, APIs to enable that. But um, uh, clearly Clubhouse does because we're in, we're in Club Deck, and I've got all the rooms right here in Club Deck. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if Twitter allows that as well. Yep. So there's there's a plenty of other news that we can jump into other topics as we always do. But uh, now that we're 30 minutes past the hour and the room is getting up to its normal numbers here, I want to just give another warm welcome. Happy Friday to everybody. And we were just talking about the new Twitter verifications. But turning to other topics, one of the big hot topics at the moment is the fact that um, Snapchat just released their goggles, glasses. They're very funky looking, I'll tell you that much. And I just retweeted it from the Tech News Around the World Twitter account, so you can take a look at them. They're they're very stylish, very, very modern looking, I'll say that. They're called Spectacles by Snapchat. And let me read from their release here. The next generation of Spectacles. And you can also see this at spectacles.com. Uh, and it says, well, let me take off the Swedish version and go to the English version. So we read. This uh, is version 2.2, right? The previous one right. had like the lights around your eyes. Or something. Correct. I have to say they look pretty freaking. No, they, it's more. They, they look so very cool. Could, yeah. They went up to three, right? Uh-huh. So we have the first ones, the second ones, the third ones, which are out right now with the double cameras. And then what we're talking about now is the AR glasses. Yeah. Uh, which are coming sometime in the future. Yep. Um, but but do go to spectacles.com, which you can get to very easily from the Tech News Around the World Twitter account, and you'll see a beautiful, huge, full browser image of this thing. They look, I think as a geek, they look sexy as hell, but they are very, they're, they're very loud. Like if you're wearing these things, people are going to know you're wearing them. Um, they're, they're clearly not meant to be, they're a little too wild to be thought of as normal sunglasses, uh, uh, kind of on the on the edge of that. But then if you scroll down, you'll see uh, a glimpse of the experiences of what it's like to wear this thing where it's augmented reality. And it shows someone standing on a beach with the whole solar system spinning around in front of them and somebody standing on a basketball court. Um, 
and there's images and content and even text floating around in the air as they walk through a park. And uh, it's quite um, quite the experience. And of course, there are cameras built on the front of this thing so that you can record while you're walking and no doubt stream that to Snapchat. The question is, will you be able to stream that to and record the videos that you record? Will, is this platform specific? Meaning, will these will this hardware only work with that app? Meaning Snapchat, which I imagine it is sort of a locked in experience. And that has obviously strengths and weaknesses as a strategy for Snapchat, because somebody else could come out with a competing headset that works with all platforms. And then uh, people might not buy the Snapchat one unless they're highly subsidized, which is also possible. I'm curious. Oh, so are, you... they, are they ahead on the AR ads thing now? Uh, this looks interesting. Yeah, it's well, three hundred and eighty dollars for these, which is not cheap, especially if it's locked into only on Snapchat, uh, because I can imagine Instagrammers would love to use this, as would YouTubers. So uh, there's a couple of uh, notes on this. It's not available uh, publicly. Okay. They they will only sell it to creators who send in an application. So uh-huh. Victoria. I hope you for now. <laughs> oh, oh, I know. I've been thank you so much for the shout out, Nicholas, because I've been trying to talk about it. So I actually have been building in Lens Studio for a while, and it's a pretty robust application. I gotta say, I'm pretty impressed with the kind of things that I can develop on it, and it's really easy. And not only that, they have a whole lot of templates, so you could get up and running really fast. So I could really see this taking off. Um, once, if these come out and they start to push their creators tutorials and then come out with even more stuff, that's even simpler, then I think you, anyone could pick up a lens studio and then create hey, whatever they want. Then bring and then some of the water, please. I mean, I think it's awesome. Do you know how heavy they are? They look very 134, high. 134 grams. And it, uh, it only has battery for 30 minutes. So I, I don't think this is a, this will be pushed out uh, to the mass market at all. This is just a, it's the first big step towards, towards the consumer uh, world. I mean, they're, now they're before um, Apple and Facebook, which is a thing in itself, but they, yeah, this is just the first iteration. Yeah, and, and Nicholas- It's also what makes me worried is the field of view is very, very small. Yeah, it is weird the, on that design. 26.3 degrees, that's right. significantly less than the first HoloLens, for instance. Right, and then there's also a couple of thoughts here, which is one thing is the distribution strategy is totally brilliant. At the bottom of the Spectacles webpage, it says, try them on in person, find a store near you to see how they look, fit, and feel, and there's a button to find a store near you. That is genius because Snapchat doesn't have physical locations, but they could ship these devices to any retail store that they feel you know is, is a good representation of their brand. And those stores will get more foot traffic of people coming in wanting to try these things. And they get to feel like a more, uh, a best, what do you think, Cal? Would Best Buy be like, yeah, come in and try these new Snapchat things? And you could probably even sell them there, right? But um, no, this, this, is, this is exactly, they're looking for the experience uh, propositions, right? right? And so now, with uh, to Victoria's point, when when these experience, what what's interesting is that the very thing that they'll set up environments for, I guarantee it this year they're resetting it for Christmas. I bet 
bet you anything. I can even get some information on that later. But, you know, they're setting up the spaces because they have to get the physical space ready, et cetera. When they'll put these experiences together, what's interesting is they're going to be, to our broader point, they're going to be selling devices that actually make them obsolete as a store later, which is going to be interesting. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they will be doing that. I love the fact that Snapchat doesn't have their own stores, and they're like, no problem. If you're a store and you want these in your store so that customers can come into your store and try these, let's partner. And then they just have thousands of stores everywhere where you can now as. Yeah, Tyler, what's what I found, and and it may change in the future, but every once in a while, a technology company decides that they want to create their own like uh, store brand, et cetera. The, the mobile phone operators did that for many, many years. Um, but turns around, they, they find it economically really hard. And that's the one thing that, at least in the US, Best Buy has been able to, to you know, stay standing and do that. And you know, Best Buy Mobile was a deal we did with Carphone Warehouse. In fact, we bought 50% of Carphone Warehouse in the UK at one point and did a joint venture where we bought Carphone Warehouse, which is a UK's top number one brand, Europe's top number one brand for selling cell phones, right, um, into Best Buy. And that became Best Buy's kind of, you know, it was called Best Buy Mobile at the beginning. We just brought five people across from the UK. That's the venture that we started. And it became a, a, a $1.5 billion business. We bought out the rest of the 50% of that. So the point behind that is whenever these technology companies try to set up their own little, uh, like, uh, uh, if you like, uh, pop up, you know, channels, yeah. the only people that have been able to do that because they did it differently was Apple. Well, by the way, when Apple first launched the Apple Watch, the very first generation, they partnered with uh, luxury retailers all over to where you could go do this as well, because there was a limited number of uh, Apple stores and they wanted people from all over to be able to go try these new Apple Watches. So there was, you know, stores that sell, you know, luxury um, um, apparel could ha- have the Apple Watches available to try on and to sell, even though they're not Apple stores. It was kind of a unique distribution you know, point of sale strategy that Apple used as well. That uh, is super interesting. I wondered why the first Apple Watches were 10, and they had a $10,000 watch. Do you think this was just playing into that distribution uh, opportunity? Oh, they did have that gold one. That's right. Yeah. 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 They, they were, people were spending $10,000 plus on a watch that was clearly going out of date in a year. Yeah. Um, funny. Ah, cool. Interesting. Well, so, other, here, so here, one, one what, more note on yeah. retail. Yeah. Um, Snap, Snap did have uh, pop-up stores and uh, and even vending machines That's for right. their first generation spectacles. Yep. Yeah, and then there was also those who those of us who have been around for a minute remember Google was really the first notable big player in this space with their what did they call it the Google Lens? Nicholas. Google Glass. Google Glass. Glass. And the by, by the way, on this on this vending machine thing, uh, just Tyler, turn me off on retail. That's my game. So just turn me off if we're off topic here. But uh, on the vending machine thing, one of the things that we did, and it's a venture we started, uh, Lakeisha might remember it. Uh, it's this thing we started called Best Buy Express at airports, right? It was a little little venture that became, you might see it in US airports still hanging around, right? It was uh, as a company, but I see that as a quite a big channel, right? And I see the vending machine technology coming from Japan, actually, Cheryl might have a good view, is, is so much more sophisticated than what we use in the U- U.S. right now. Um, and, uh, and I see people, you know, the, those, those kind of channels where, you know, you, you get stuff really quickly. And somehow, if you could get the experience, if you had a VR thing 
some VR experience attached to that vending machine in an airport. So you can actually see the product. You try it out, you put your little VR on, you see the product, you use it, and then you click the button, the product's there, you're on the plane, you're using the product. I can see that being strong. But anyway, I'll move on. So I want Tyler, to... there's a bit of breaking news. Right? Yeah, well, hold it. I see your tweet. The um, one other fine point on this is this uh, spectacles from Snapchat do look a bit in terms of form factor at like Google Glass. And there was, by the way, go- the reason Google Glass doesn't exist at the moment, well, there's a few reasons, but the- when it came out, it was met with an incredible amount of pushback because people were worried that they were being video recorded in the bathrooms and whatnot, right? So uh, this ne- device uh, looks, again, has, has very a lot of similarities to Google Glass from a form factor. It's got a cam- these very obvious cameras right on the front. It's going to scare the shit out of a lot of people. Are you recording me right now? Are you recording me right now? We're going to have to go through that whole experience all over again now, you know, five years later. Um, I guarantee you right now there will be headlines uh, in the weeks to come about, you know, sp- uh, how uh, some comment from Snapchat about, you know, what, how these things are being used in public. And that's going to spark big public debates again, all about recording and privacy in public. You want to comment on? I that? don't. I don't. I. I think. I think we've moved past that. Uh, the. The. They've had three generations of these just be, without the screen, and people are just uh, more used to it. Uh, the. The whole thing. This was. This was, mind you, when uh, Prism and NSA and the whole surveillance thing was a, a hot topic. So the context was different, and uh, I think we're. We're past that now. Okay. Let's. We. It's but, not our generation. This. This isn't for our generation. True. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. Sorry to cut you off. I'm like probably the only party hatter in this moment. Uh, I, I have a question to Akhil. Uh, Akhil, are you in India right now? Yes. Uh, can you just go on Flipkart? I see the Snapchat Spectacle 3 are on for sale. Are those original or are those fake ones? So Akhil, I see your breaking headline here. You want to? You want to? What? Let me. Let me see. Let me. Israel, let me do. Okay, go ahead, Akil. Uh, yeah, so breaking like an hour ago, Israel, Hamas agree to cease fire to end bloody 11-day war. Uh, Israel and Hamas have agreed to a ceasefire. The war is over, guys. Um, they are rebuilding their countries again. Uh, this coming from AP uh, from less than an, in, in in less than an hour. Um, it says from Jerusalem, Israel and Hamas agree to a ceasefire Thursday, halting a bruising 11 day war that caused widespread destruction in the Gaza Strip, brought life, uh, in much of Israel to a standstill and left more than 200 people dead at 2 a.m. local time. Just as the ceasefire took effect, life returned to the streets of Gaza. People went out of their homes, some shooting a Akbar, or whistling from balconies, many fired in the air, celebrating the truce. Uh, I will tweet this from the Tech News Around the World Twitter account because it's a rather long article um, with some photos and videos. Um, but uh, ha- happy to hear that uh, people hope won't be uh, losing family members and, and lives uh, in the in the next days to come here. And Sarvesh, yeah, uh, it's legit that they're selling it on Flipkart for uh, 30,000 rupees. It's original ones. Say again? Oh, was that to the other person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, that's Sarvesh. Um, they're selling those Snapchat spectacles in, in India on Flipkart. Um, they're already almost out of stock, actually. 
so let's see. Other big headlines to share. Um, the U.S. Treasury announces it will require any cryptocurrency transfers of more than $10,000 to be reported to the IRS, saying cryptocurrencies pose a tax pose a tax evasion risk and that's all you needed to know about the future of cryptocurrencies in america is america really only cares because they worry about taxes and the irs uh is going to make sure that any transfers of these are going to be taxed just like cash if you transfer more than ten thousand dollars to any person or business they want to know about it uh, so they can tax it and the cryptocurrencies are now will no longer be immune to that. And the initial benefits of the vision of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies is now diminishing seemingly quickly in the U.S. and, and elsewhere. And that might have some uh, explain some of the downward pressure on cryptocurrencies in the last 48 hours. A very notable downward pressure, I should say. So um any comments from the peanut gallery on stage about the U.S. Treasury announcing it will require cryptocurrency transfers of $10,000 or more to be reported to the IRS? I just have a I have a question on this. Yep. Um, I imagine if the IRS is potentially taking their share, that states might also jump in on this to take their share of cryptocurrency, uh, especially if it's thought to be uh, an asset like stocks, uh, where you could do a capital gains tax. Well, and on this year's IRS form, um, they didn't ask about a specific value, as I recall, but they did ask whether um, I had bought or sold crypto. So, so my sense was that they wanted to know whether I held any at all. So, so I completely agree. They're they're going to be on this. They're not going to they're not going to lose out on any revenue. I worry that there might actually be because I don't. I, I agree. I saw that same thing. Um, but I wonder, is this requirement going to requ- going to stipulate that, say, if you move something off an exchange and onto like a cold storage facility, you have to report that? Mm. Because then all of a sudden, like, what happens if you lose your wallet? Let me read you the know? article because hopefully it'll cover that particular. Tyler, is interesting this question? Yeah. Ty- Ty- Tyler, is this question related to business taxes in the U.S. or personal no. taxes in the U.S.? Personal. Okay. Well, I have a bit of that because I. I took a course in taxation for crypto. Uh, Lakeisha, I heard you say that it's on the first page under the signature section of the 1040 for this year. The main thing that is happening, many of the CPAs are being given the the go-ahead to start collecting information. I help clients fill out the form 8959. And in this particular personal taxation, anything that you do that moves from an exchange to, to, not to a wallet, Tyler or Lakeisha, Only if you're moving it from an exchange. So basically, these day traders are going to get hosed because basically the difference between when you're in the stocks versus crypto is that every movement is considered a transaction that has to be recorded. So if you are day trading, you better have some really good records because they're going to go to the granularity of it. And there's companies already doing this for about three years now. And they're basically allowing you to come clean because IRS is reporting on your own. And so then this from is there, a tax on actually... liquidation, only if you liquidate. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Akil. It's, so it's a tax only if you liquidate. Uh... 
stuff. No, actually, you're correct. Yeah, you're correct, Akil. Any form of liquidation. So, like, it's kind of like, even if you're saying, oh, well, it's just a little bit, it doesn't matter. Every movement counts as a transaction. And there's a lot of misinformation on Clubhouse regarding this. And this is something that's going to hurt a lot of people because they're day trading and they think it's only going to be when they take it out permanently to another. That is also a taxable event by the IRS. And this is where the challenge is going to come. And that's why I've had clients that I'm helping them fill out the 8959, which shows the detail of each of those movements from the exchanges. And they have them all, almost all of them now. So if yeah, I were, you if I just were get like so you mean any this, conversion? Right? Like, this isn't like Wait a second, that. one at a time, what was that? There, there are, yeah, there are software services that do this. Coinify would be one of them. There's a whole, there's a whole bunch already established that, that help Correct. you track all your crypto and, and do the tax reporting. And they're, you know, they are accepted by the IRS, by the HMRC in the UK, etc. So there are some mature services already exist to help with that, FYI. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That, no, that's, that's correct. Is, are you going to report that's correct. like your... Are you going to report your tax? Are you going to report based upon like the first one you sold or the last one you sold? Like you just have well, to like that, that, no, dive into the granularity. Actually, time out. Wait one second, Ben. Regarding the UK, I'm sure that you could speak quite a lot about it. But when it comes to the United States, the bottom line is any movement, in fact, is considered a taxable event because I've had several auditors, audit companies reach out to me privately from Amy, Clubhouse. Is it- Pardon me, is it any movement or is it any, yep. any conversion or is it specifically it's, conversion to it's, dollars? It's specifically conversion. Uh, it's actually specifically two conversions. Conversion and movement of one asset to another that changes the value. So Ethereum to Litecoin and back and forth and capital gains if you extract it to fiat currency. Both of those are taxable events based on the IRS but if you move it from your Coinbase account to your private wallet, that's just movement. That's correct. Not that's fine. Well, that means basically what's happening is, is this is your last chance to move your crypto onto a wallet in uh, not financial advice, doing your own research. But this is the first, this is the only time probably now because it's getting so hot and regulations coming down heavy. This will be the, probably the time where you would want to move it to a hard wallet and say goodbye and go do some work and earn some fiat because so, they'll come after you. And that's so what they're doing. A lot of these exchanges have their own coin. They've used this as a really good way to gain uh, sort of finances by offering their own in-house coin. And they use that for people who are not sure about the whole crypto space. They want to use like the, the easy mode, as it were. So you, you put in USD and you buy these in-house coins and then that is transferred to Bitcoin or ETH. So at that point there, that's taxable. So what's going to happen to these right. in-house coins? Well, is this the, the in-house coins... Actually, those in-house coins are something, for example, like IDOs, initial DEX offerings. When you talk about many of these projects, so like Solana, Litecoin, uh, Duckstarter, these are all launch pads that provide a token in their company product for, in exchange for fiat com- currency to make the projects that they're working on come to life. Okay, From there, that means only KYC people could enter, and that's the AML KYC, which means the United States is one of the countries among about 20 others that are not allowed into them but many other countries are that means they they see that as investment in a company as the united states that's why u.s is heavily regulated and heavily secured with that so we're not we're not allowed as u.s citizens to go into any ideos that are initial dex offerings which are startup launch pads for those token those projects on the crypto space right 
if you go to that USDC and USD Tether, that's or they are pegged to the dollar. So if they're pegged to the dollar, at least USDT Tether is pegged to the dollar. USDC is a stable coin like DAI. So when you see those, those are stabilizing the amount that's going in. So it would stop it right there at the cost at which the transaction occurred. But if you keep on going back and forth and trading those coins like a day trader would stocks, you better, better have some serious accounting software like Ben communicated and said, which I agree with him. There's about four or five top accounting crypto accounting softwares that have been in place for about four or five years now. And they do a great job of this reporting, but of course nothing is free. They charge you for that service. And you do need to still have a CPA in your country at least overlook it what it is that you're putting forward. And to be quite frank, Lakeisha, this is really where it's gonna be very interesting because it does sit on the first page right above above your signature. So, and it's a small line and it's only a checkbox now. So they're really allowing you to independently report your your crypto or digital send and receive. But I'm sure over the course of time, as Donna had once said before, they're going to probably put more people on staff to be able to secure this, especially with the fact that they're now looking for people that have outstanding tax debts. They're going to go after their crypto now. If they have if you're a U.S. citizen and you have outstanding tax debt and you have crypto, they're going after your crypto. This came out in news about two weeks ago. They're going to go after your crypto if you owe the tax, uh, if you owe any money to the U.S. government in taxation. So a notable line. Amy, that was excellent. Thank you so much. Yep. You're uh, welcome, Akisha. So follow that was super insightful. Thank you so much, Amy. Yeah. Follow, uh, You're welcome, Akisha. Do follow Amay because she... Is there any legal ability for the US government or the IRS to go directly to the exchanges? Like, can they actually do this for the information? They can in the US. They could secure... They could... They. If, if in fact, well, it's how they did Bitrix, right? Was it Bitmix or something like that? The guy who's actually might be going to jail now? who uh, opened up an exchange in the Seychelles and it's a, it's a long, it's a long, interesting thing because this is what's happening. This is what's happening right now with um, why they're kind of challenging Binance. That's why they're challenging Binance because what's happened is as many of them did not KYC and because they didn't KYC, they've got Americans in there. Right. But if the United States says, Hey, we're coming after your exchange, you better not have Americans in that exchange. All the exchange has to do to prepare is get rid of everyone that has KYC'd a U.S. address or a driver's license, and they get them out. And once they get them out, they've come clean for the U.S. But those exchanges that still have loopholes for people to get in, like Binance, then very well, they're, they're still looking heavily at Binance. So the head- That's why Binance is set up in Malta, that and the fact that they're masculine. Correct, but they're illicit numbers. But the CEO, CZ CZ Binance, has been very active on Twitter, talking with you know, making commentary about this, saying that look, at the end of the day, I could I could secure this, I could secure this exchange is to not let Americans in. But at the end of the day, they will find a way to get in. And these people are technical. They know how to hide the VPN router. They know how to hide their IP addresses. So there's a lot of ways that technical people could get into Binance.com without someone knowing they're dialing in from the United States. So all Binance, CZ Binance is saying is that we can't get everyone out. But that is now up to, you know, United States to sort of find them. But then let's all be transparent and realistic. The IRS is a reporting on good faith, which means they're going to let you, they're going to give you rope. Now it's only up to you if you're going to hang yourself or you're going to.
going to be authentic to pay the taxes that you're required to pay. So there's from the headline on NBC, uh, CNBC, the statement from the Treasury Department says cryptocurrency already poses a significant detection problem by facilitating illegal activity broadly, including tax evasion. This is why the president's proposal includes additional resources for the IRS to address the growth of cryptocurrencies within the context of the new financial account reporting regime, which is uh, being planned to be released soon. Cryptocurrencies and crypto asset exchange accounts and payment service accounts that accept cryptocurrencies would be covered. Further, as with cash transactions, businesses that receive crypto assets with a fair market value of more than $10,000 would also be reported on. So it's, uh, uh, but the main headline to focus on here, I think, is the about transactions where it says um, any transfer worth $10,000 or more must be reported to the IRS. Uh, <clears throat> and, 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 and that includes businesses receiving or. Uh, but, not, but Tyler, yeah. the unique part about that statement, which is why I also believe this is fear, uncertainty and doubt, which is what they're doing. Uh-huh. That's that's been like that for years. I have I've had a business in the United States forever. That's part of the normal process for how we file our taxes as a business and a personal. So what they're doing is they're highlighting one piece of text to put fear into people. But the irony is, is that even my accountants like, yo, aim. We've been doing this for decades already, so no stress. And he was a PWCX employee. So at the end of the day, all they're doing is trying to scare people. They're trying to shake the tree to scare the people that are, that might be getting involved that they don't want to get involved. Or it's a bit like when your mother says, who did it? When you steal a cookie or something and she looks at your face. They're just looking for the ones that are going to be like, well, I didn't do it. Yeah, sure. You know, there's always that brother or sister or sibling that points to the other one. So all they're trying to see is who's going to come forward and who's not. You know, they want to shake it out. They want to scare some people out to do it. Amy, Amy let's be serious about this, right? Uh, look, uh, the reason that is line... Is that Kieran? Yes, Amy. Um, hey, Kieran, so... how are you? Hey, Amy, how are you? Uh, th- that's a powerful line, right? What that means is that that's, what, that's, what, that's basically what they're saying is a KYC. Just there, right? Correct. That's they will have that's right followed to the source of the money. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so I think it's not just about shaking the trees. You know, this is uh, yes, rec- you're correct, Kieran. You're absolutely correct. I agree with you. You're uh, Kieran, correct. can you continue, Kieran? So in UK, we have the system. Um, every any any amount more than five thousand pounds, they have to uh, you know uh, we have to uh, tell the bank where the source of the fund is, um, and they. There lies the right. At that point, they can literally, uh, you know, freeze the IRS could behind the scene without you knowing. There comes the monitoring start that process. You will not even know is anyone's watching your transactions. So IRS, oh sorry, in in our case, Inland Revenue will have the right. Uh, they will be, you know, um, uh, observing it behind the scene. Uh, so what that means is that's it. There stops the point of you know uh, 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 your account. So what happened is, uh, I remember uh, two years ago, I, I got a, a, a letter from my bank, Barclays, they, saying that they will shut my account. And uh, I asked them, that was a premium account uh, for 20 years. You know, I paid millions of taxes and, and I asked them, look, uh, can we talk about this? And they say, no, just read the small print on the account that you opened 20 years ago. It says, we don't have to give you a reason. We can shut down. Uh, you're only going to be allowed to withdraw uh, you know, 500 pounds uh, until you prove the source of the fund, uh, you know, uh, in your account. So there is a, so what that does is 
that means that they can literally use the small prints that you never read in the last 20 years. You know, when you open your, all of your financial assets, all of your mortgages, all of that, they can literally freeze at that instant. Right? That's what the power they have. It's not just about the $10,000 and shaking the trees. It means all the financial assets that are tied to that small prints that, you know, it's been said that the banks have the right to shut down. They can literally start shut down and investigate every single thing you bought. If I've read this correctly as well, it also captures sort of, as I think someone else highlighted, you know, if you're converting, if you're exiting, exiting a Bitcoin um, trade and entering an, an Ethereum trade. So if you're moving from $10,000 from one cryptocurrency to another, they also have to report that. And also, this space, That's correct. in this uh, space, I mean, this lacks attitude, right? A lot of these crypto guys, they think that, oh, just by changing from one exchange to the other, one wallet to the other, you know, they just think IRS. So I had an email that I had to provide every single wallet address and the password. And if you refuse to uh, pass, give the password, they will penalize you and send you penalty. And there lies the uh, independent investigation. So you have to provide the every wallet address and every password so that they can independently investigate. So, so there is... One... One quick question. Do they have systems to accept all of this data? That's a lot of transactions that qualify. Where is, where yeah, is, that's where, kind where of the pain here, going? especially if you do, um, if you get like proof of staking rewards, like every single time you're receiving a stake, technically that's income coming into your account since it's a new, 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 um, new benefit. Like that's, that, that's the pain in the ass. I think that's the real one why you actually need to get like some of these tracking softwares to, to oversight it because but if, does, if you don't have it. But does the government have the systems in place to even accept this data? Again, I think it's, they're relying upon your reporting to do it. The, the real question is going to be if they actually want to audit you. But right? how do you if report? They... Do you well, actually, papers? for yeah, the United States specifically, yeah, if you're in the US, not, I, can talk about I can't see who's, who's asking that question, but for the United States, they have Form 8959, and that Form 8959, as Ben was also sharing, those international, like Accountify, Cointracker, Coinly, they all parse information in the data that fits extensively into that form 8959 after your tax accountant manages some calculations of profit and loss, capital gains, loss, where, where you've actually gained, where you've lost, but they do go down the whole narrative of the whole list. So it is like a, a, a data dump from within those exchanges into a parse file, text file, and then it's just done with Excel. The software is actually make it easier. Uh, so it's literally no different than any other sort of financial blockchain, right? transaction. Hey, hey guys, can I just check one thing? Uh, Tyler, are you there? I just want to yeah. top of the hour, just maybe a quick... Yep. Oh, you're there. I'm here. Uh, go John and then Frederick. Oh, I was just saying like it's just like any other security transaction. Like It's like you track your records. Like if you day trade, you know what you have to do. You keep your book, maintain compliance. Like it, They're software. This is not that difficult. Doesn't it also put the owners on the exchange to track them? So, you know, I mean, whether it's HMRC or the IRS, they can go to the exchange, uh, they, they can go to the processor and say, right, okay, values above, trades above 10,000. We want to know who they are between, um, you know, what cryptocurrencies are involved. Uh, I mean, so, so this capturing the data isn't a problem because they don't have to do it. They just pass but the law they can and just... then the exchanges have to Exactly. Capture. 
exactly. Frederick? They mm. can look at the blockchain now. So They're not going to do that. They're just going to go to like they would through interactive brokers, similar process, right? Oh, they're definitely going to look at the blockchain. They already are. So no, that's, how, that's how they go. And, uh, Guys, let me give an example. So in so UK, forth. so there is a team they have. So they asked me for all of the wallet addresses for the last uh, you know, uh, three years, and I had to provide. And uh, I think they, they already have teams in place. But when you look in the, uh, from outside, you might think they don't have the team. They do. You know, they, they, I, I received an email saying, can you just provide all the wallet address and password? And I independently had to. I had to go through that, the whole process. Uh, well, yeah, for the, sure. the trend... I work in banking, so I, I mean, we have teams. Kieran, what do you, you know, what do you mean things. by you had to give them the passwords? I don't get you give them. Is this what, what currency was this, and, and what did you exactly have to give them? So uh, basically, um, so initial transaction was that there was a, I had a, a you know Ethereum, um, uh, and it, uh, it came to some uh, wallets, and then I transferred to exchanges, and you know uh, there was there so, so some trading. Uh, from different uh, cryptos, and then uh, uh, yeah. So for, then, what happened was that uh, we had this issue with the one particular um, situation. It, then it's the password specifically. I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. You had to give them your passwords. I'm worried you're saying that you had to give them your private keys, which that's um, right. Is, no, yeah. You, and then no way they can ask for that. The exchange, so they can independently uh, log in to check everything. You have to just let go of your password. Oh, a password to an exchange. Okay, cool. That's fine. That's that, that's that's invasive, but fine. But private keys not not okay to ask for. Yeah, that's cool. Now, but you can't even get the private keys if you've got your own security so, sorted out. You can't even access your own private keys if you've got good security. So they can't. okay, that's cool. That's fine, Kim. We'll cover that later on. Right. If they if they if they ask you for the private key, you have. There's, you can't uh, say, I can't give you, right? It, they well, you can, can because you physically can't get it yourself. They can literally you freeze your mortgage. They can literally freeze your bank. Yeah, but they haven't asked for that. They've asked for, yeah, they uh, asked for, for exchange. That. They've that's asked cool. me for exchange yeah. password. That's, that's, all, uh, that's all they've no, done. No, 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 no. They didn't ask for the exchange. They asked for everything. Then at that point, I only provided the exchange password. Then they came back and asked, can you give all your private keys to all your wallets? They gave yeah, the wallet. Yeah, but Kieran, you can't get it. A private key doesn't correspond to a wallet. It corresponds to an address, and you can't that's, get your private key. They can't, they're not going to ask you for your seed phrase or your... That's fine. They just lock you up until you do. Exactly. Or they that's fine. you. So the point is they do it in a because they have lack of understanding about the space in terms of the technology, the technique, they will just keep on asking for things. And every time you just try to explain, they just think that you're trying to hide something. So it just they make the process so painful. It's just that, you know, it just drags on. Um, you see what I mean? And then, and then until that, they stop you from having access to your, your you know, your other stuff that's, you know, day to day you deal with, like your mortgages and your banks and your savings and all that kind of stuff. OK, moving on. We'll leave it there for now because no doubt it'll come up again later today. So uh, hold the, uh, the... I have something related to crypto right now. The, okay. Save it for five hours from now when it will... It will <laughs> this is why we, this is why we have... Overdose now. The 90% of people in the room who don't care at all about this are eager to move on <laughs> according to my DMs. So the, I have something interesting from India. Okay, go ahead, Akil. Um, so our government is going to be setting up a BBC-like channel to push India's view. This is phenomenal. Um, so the government just floated a tender uh, looking for consultants to set up like an international and a local news channel. We had one way back in the country's history called Doordarshan. And Doordarshan, they're looking, yes. yes. And we're looking to revamp that um, into an international news channel because... Uh, the government feels that the the coverage that India is getting on the COVID response is a little unfair. 
and uh, they kind of want to tackle this problem by setting up their own uh, media house what's the source of that uh the indian express i i tweeted it out at you and uh, what's the read the headline if you would um center to set up bbc like in quotes channel to push india view ah well this is part of the game of journalism <laughs> um but it seems like the is it modi's um team uh doesn't like criticism generally i mean no no governments do i guess but they seem not so some governments seem particularly sensitive they're not very open about it yeah, yeah. Uh, there's yes. no press conference ever held for like last 7 8 years that he has been to right so uh, but so isn't it like it would be controlled by the modi government uh, yes so uh, this will it um, would be biased i feel it would be biased news i got excited we, before we get there yeah before we get there the, the news accurately does report that it will be authoritative by the government and this will be a government channel it will be it, they intend to call it dd international which is i think short for doordarshan but there, this this gets it, i i i'm hold on this is a really important debate we can have here because as critical as i am about journalists in 2021 because they do lots of slanting and they have agendas and they misreport stuff all the time and that's what this room is about fundamentally however in the in the context of a government journalists play an incredibly important role and they need lots of transparency to go in and do the investigations they need to do to expose corruption and expose bad behavior uh which that's the role of journalists as well and it's an incredibly important role in the function of democracy india why as is still a democracy technically so those journalists need to be able to do everything they're doing and if the government doesn't like the reports that are coming out there are uh, mechanisms in place to make announcements they have twitter accounts they have outlets and they can make statements and correct journalists and etc but if the government starts making their own journalistic outlet like china has with xinhua or like other uh, authoritarian regimes have have state control actually even korea has similar yeah if you if you have state controlled media it's it's essentially a mouthpiece of the government and the problem is is it's perceived to be as uh journalistic when it's not journalistic it's it's also you know the the one-sided perspective of one voice and it you know gives people often the false impression that it's um being fair and balanced when it's not it has a very specific agenda right so it it's a, i i i get a little concerned when democracies start having state sponsored medias trump uh you know say what you will there was oan in america which started to be sort of a soft version of this as well where it was uh, one or breitbart you know there's there are far right news leaning things that get a little too a cozy with the the power you know the, the the leader of the country at that time and it's something to be very mindful of and i wonder what um if monica or akil akil as an indian what what is your take on this so here's my take on this right um it i've kind i find it odd that the government would do this because they do fund half the media channels in the country already they kind of do own them uh republic tv a bunch of you know right wing stuff um you know they fund them but they're not owned by the government this is the first one that is going to be owned by the by the government of india right and i was like why would you do that when you already own half the media in the country but akil they already made the intent through the whatsapp uh, uh, uh data 
uh, you know, the, the headline we had, uh, you know, a couple of weeks, we've been talking about the, uh, the uh, they are asking WhatsApp not to enforce that data encryption. Uh, and because they're already worried about the monopoly that WhatsApp is having in India, right? Because, you know, a lot yeah. of the stuff noticed in the last three, four years, a lot of the wildfires against uh, Modi's government spread quickly through WhatsApp, right? They had no control over that. And uh, now they're trying to get WhatsApp not to, you know, pass that data privacy because they know that if they do that, they can embed, uh, you know, uh, Instagram and Facebook to it. And, you know, if imagine WhatsApp becomes the, let's say the, you know, Instagram becomes the storefront in India or Facebook becomes, and then, you know, WhatsApp could accept, uh, act as the kind of the payment structure underneath. And they're worried about all of that data being captured in a centralized point, which they can lose control. That's why, you know, so they already made the intent through also through, you know, uh, uh, tech companies, just like the Chinese, you know, went after, right? So, But there the is interesting th- thing, Kieran, is in India, e- even if um, outside India tech companies get the data, India has a way of enforcing their own rules onto these tech companies, like what happened with Facebook or Twitter, right? So I don't think that's honestly that's a major point of concern, at least for the present government. Even, even like I would say, for instance, if any uh, celebrities from out of India tweet about against the Indian ruling government, those tweets will be taken out right then and there within an hour. Exactly, Kieran. So yes. That's why I'm saying I find it odd that they want to do their own thing now when they already enforce so much control over outside <coughs> stuff that they don't Here's own. A related point isn't, here. Isn't, that... isn't this more focused on international audience rather than inside? So it's more of, I feel, I feel in my opinion, uh, what I feel is the Modi government is trying to, you know, get into uh, good terms with the world and clean off the blood from their hand. Uh, that's how that main motto is going to be because the pattern I'm seeing with this uh, Modi's PR team right now is what they're doing is whatever the blame game is going on right now, they're just pushing it off of their shoulders. And as then, then we can get it themselves cleared out and then they will try to, you know, propagate their own agendas and then success stories out to the world. So here's one thing. I, I, hold on me, one I, second. I think it's, uh, I think it's more. Sahin, hold on one second. There's an article that Faraz just shared. I just retweeted it. This is not unique to India by any means. Uh, Singapore just now is telling Facebook and Twitter to carry correction notice on the virus because Singapore is noticing uh, content on and posts on Twitter and on Facebook that has misinformation about the virus. And now Singapore is telling Facebook and Twitter to correct it, which... Of course, Facebook and Twitter say, hey, we don't make that content. Our users do. And Singapore says, yeah, we don't care. Get it off of there because it's, in fact, it's incorrect (laughs) information. And this is the inherent problem of information on social networks, where in America, people are free to be, we have the freedom to be wrong, actually. You have the freedom. We are free to be stupid and uneducated. That is your God-given right to be an idiot and to share (laughs) your idiot perspectives Wild, open, and wild on the internet. My my grand my grandfather died in Korea so that you can be an idiot and share your stupid perspectives on Facebook and on Twitter. So we had Indian politicians actually tweeting out saying the new strain of virus is from Singapore and prominent politicians, people who run the capital sort of people. Right. But hold on. I have to finish the article because Facebook and Twitter confirmed receipt of the order from Singapore and said they complied as per the local law because this is the new dynamic at play, which is the, the standoff between countries and Facebook and Twitter. When in each case, this is the most recent example today in the last 24 hours in Singapore, where Singapore is telling Facebook and Twitter to do something that even in America, this has been debated now for many years, 
where America says, hey, Facebook and Twitter, take that down. And Facebook and Twitter says, nope, we are a platform. That's not our content. The law says users can post whatever stupid stuff they want. That's just the way it is. And Singapore says, yeah, we don't play that. You either take that off or we're banning you from the country. Got it? And they say, okay, boss, sorry about that. We'll remove it right away, boss. <laughs> and then India is doing the same thing right now. India is saying, you, Twitter, you remove those tweets or you're out of here. And Twitter says, okay, boss, whatever you say, boss. <laughs> Russia did the same thing. Russia said, hey, Twitter, get this shit off of here. And Twitter said, ah, let us think about it. And, fa and Russia said, okay, while you're thinking about it, we're just going to slow down your service to half speed in Russia while you think about it. And we'll give you seven days and let us know what you think. And this game is happening globally all the time now. But it's one thing is very clear that the social media networks will do what the government say so that they can keep operating in those countries if they feel that it is an existential threat to their business model to exist in that country. And it's happening with WhatsApp in India at the moment and all of this. But it, that's where we are at in, you know, May, many, uh, May of 2021. Many so can, many I, can I hold, hold on a second? Let us recognize many Tyler soliloquy. My request, Tyler, we need a little tune for Tyler soliloquy. <laughs> okay, I'll get a song for it next time. Go ahead, Akil. So can I offer a different take? This is Shaheen. Okay. So, so I think this is a recognition that information warfare is not about having more insight than the other guy, but to be able to mislead the other guy. And I think these guys are understanding that they have to participate in this information warfare directly. Ooh. And they have to produce their own content and spin it their own way. If I provide the content, then I can't blame Facebook for not distributing it. But it's funny how in America they can say, Oh, that's not our content. Okay. But in the other countries, the other countries say, "Yeah, we don't care. This ain't America, y'all." Uh, that though, that we, have, we don't have different laws. We don't. Well, yeah, it just we, shows that they don't care about the service right. there. That's because I mean the the issue, the main reason why you want those laws, putting it in place that you can post anything, that you can do these things, is because otherwise you can only post what is you know quote unquote true, and we wouldn't be able to post anything because you know we're breaking the news here, and if we break the news. Well, you know, that might not be true, so you can't post that. Like, it has to be factual, factual. Yeah, well, See, here's yeah, the thing, right? Let, let, hold on, let, let's ping in Julian Assange into Clubhouse here to help us understand. Oh, the wife is fine, no, too. I, I just want to say, like, a lot of these companies were built with a very Silicon Valley mindset that the rest of the world actually doesn't share, which is, like, free speech and people can say anything they want and, you know, we're connecting people and we're enabling people. That's not how the rest of the world thinks, to be honest. Right. Well, it doesn't work that way in America either, because when Julian Assange tried to break some news on his platform called WikiLeaks, <laughs> he ended up spending the rest of his life in a little room in, a, in the Colombian embassy in London. And Ethiopian. It, it, huh? I think Ethiopian, right? Ethiopian. Ethiopian? No. No, Ecuador. No, Ecuador. Michelle was trying to jump oh, in. Go ahead, Michelle. Yeah, I just wanted to add something here. I, I mean, I feel like there's a bit of a balance. It's not always if, if it goes like just in order to protect their business model, uh, but most of the time where there is, um, where there's a compromise between a country-specific law, it's usually things that are not really against human rights. Um, there's been instances where those platforms were re ready to leave some countries because the, the type of things they were uh, asking them to remove from the platform was more around silencing civilians than, uh, than anything else. Oh. But 
There's also a difference between what is automatically moderated and what's been removed um, from a decision, uh, whether it's internally or even with the decision, um, the, the decision board. So I just think there's, it's, yeah, there are a lot of factors coming into play when it comes to making this kind of decision. And obviously, um, they're also trying to make sure that if you're in a country where, I don't know, having people, I don't know, maybe drinking alcohol below 21, and in, they ask us to remove some videos of teens drinking alcohol, that's definitely something we'll do, regardless whether uh, we align with that from our internal policy or, or community standards, you know. So yeah. that's where usually yeah. we kind of um, find some balance. Is there an example of things that you don't, are, are not so able to compromise on? Like you said, hum humanitarian kind of, um, what kind of issues? You said um, human rights type issues. Um, I, I don't know. I'll give you an example. If, for instance, um, in France, they're asking us to remove um I don't know, pictures showing skin that might have a conversation. This is very hypothetical, okay. by the way. Okay. It's just an example, uh -huh. you know. Whereas if you are in, let's say, Bahrain or even Saudi Arabia, that could be a conversation because obviously um, that's where the, the country law uh, comes into play. There will be a conversation. I'm not saying that automatically um, it will be removed, but that's that's a valid point to have a conversation based on that country um law or, or legislation. Yeah. And then there's another... Good morning, guys. There's another... Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Can I just... Uh, so, good morning, everyone. I just joined in the right moment when Tyler was saying Russia and Twitter. I was like, okay, that's interesting. Uh, so, just to clarify, um, so, in the end, Twitter deleted over 91% of requests uh, from Russian government, so they resolved the issue. And now Twitter is working fine, but they started uh, slowing speed of YouTube and uh, Facebook. So now it's a new round of negotiation with uh, foreign companies. And uh, just one thing, I don't know where this conversation is coming from. This article of uh, about... Apple and China or no. WhatsApp and German government. Neither. It's about India. <laughs> Okay, but we're talking just to add into Michelle um, what what was just discussed of human rights. For example, if you heard if you've read this article uh, on Apple presence in China and yeah. what they have to compromise, we're obviously talking it's same in Russia. Like when the app application comes in on the Apple Store and it's something about uh, gay rights, or recently in Russia it's been a trouble with Dolce Gabbana because Dolce Gabbana made a campaign with uh, kissing ladies or kissing men I, I don't know right exactly and uh, basically yeah the government said remove it from everywhere so that we don't even hear about that in russia right so yeah this yes and, in and that's just a brand who's playing games P pr games but rather brilliant pr games because they know that'll probably get banned and by being banned it'll other journalists around the world will cover that story that's genius pr right uh from one perspective from another perspective it's still the, the it, it depends what people think because Russia is moving big time towards uh, traditional, like old uh, values. So, yeah, if you're going to read, because there's been a couple of hundreds of news articles about that. And if you read comments, it's kind of yeah. frustrating. The, the, con the concern here is, uh, and I think the big picture point to focus on going forward is governments uh, having a strong hand in um, uh, social networks. 
capitulating to governments. And so eventually, over time, the social networks become essentially assets of the governments, which was sort of your point, was it not, Sahin? Which is, uh, if they're able to continue to have, over time, this battle will eventually be, okay, okay, boss, okay, boss. And then next thing you know, the, the these platforms become tools of the governments to reinforce. And then India won't need its own media because the social networks will become controlled to an extent. And whoever's in charge at that time. So if what happened? What? Oh, here's a question. Oh, my God. What happens if Trump wins the next U.S. election? And then Trump says, OK, look who's in power now, y'all. And I'm, am I allowed on Twitter now? I'm the president again. Am I allowed on Facebook? Am I allowed on YouTube? I'm the president. Oh, you're not letting me back on. Oh, well, let's just go over to the House of Representatives and put you out of business, y'all. Goodbye. Thank you for playing. Just like India is saying, just like Singapore is saying, just like all these other states are saying is you do what we say or you get the F out of our country. You don't think Trump's going to do that if he wins again? Just a quick one on that. both um, sides of that equation. I think it is simultaneously controlling the distribution of information and the creation of your own spin and propaganda. I just also want to add that. For a global audience, not just for your internal audience. If I may just add something quickly, I think we also have to be um, like differentiate Poetry's account versus Donald Trump account as an individual. So those are quite not the same channels, although it's the same person. But there is an account that's the president of the United States and there's an account that is a... a citizen that used to be a president of uh, of US. So... But you can't say no to the leader of the free world, right? Just Sorry. Exactly. Sorry. What no, was the... You can't say no to the guy who's sitting in the president chair. That's that's all I'm saying. Well, that's what I'm saying. Well, because the reality is that he he has that he may have that account as the president of US as any other president of that country, which means it's not his personal account so those are two different things and i also just want to say for the russian case i i feel like it also had to be more specific um when we take some like examples because everything is in the nuances there so basically who flagged dolce gabbana in russia who removed it is it the platform or the brand removed it themselves so and was it removed because it was reported or it was after the government asked specific platforms and which platforms because i think depending on those answers it it makes a difference as to why that decision was made and who was responsible for what it i have, just I have a question for you michel um let's say india says tomorrow facebook uh, we don't like you we don't like what you're posting uh, we don't like what you enable our people to do get out of our country or you listen to us and facebook says oh because we believe in human rights we're not going to listen to you and and it's out of the country right do you think they would do that because that's going to have a significant impact on their stock and wall street is going to take them to task because these are publicly traded companies now again that's why i'm saying we have to be very specific on if we really want to further this conversation but we cannot as well just have the conversation to speculate and just build different scenarios which is also very interesting but it depends on what we're talking about uh for instance the whatsapp case is not related to uh what decision could be made around other products it's very specific cases and there's always um a reason why these conversations happen in the first time and there is this always opens a conversation so it's not just a matter of saying 
get out of the country there's a lot of things happening backstage so, as well so the case um, i would present to you is what what facebook did with trump right they said trump don't get onto the platform anymore now you're not a president anymore if that happened in india i know for a fact the government would vote the company out so how would you guys react in that in that scenario and again that's what i'm saying it's I, as far as i know it wasn't a case of get out of the platform you're no longer president it was the breaking one of the rule of the um community policy and it had nothing to do with the fact that you're no longer present as far as i know at right. least maybe he may have what, something what i'm going to, to but... say is these people are more than people right they're they're icons now that they hold they held positions of great power that they're not another human being or a part of the facebook community anymore they they have clout they have a lot of pull Well, yeah, no. And that's why uh, Facebook didn't make that decision. If you've been following a little bit, there was an advisory board that had to make the final call on this particular. Yeah, topic. That's so, where it gets interesting. <laughs> so, just want to say yeah. it's a bit more complex than yeah, that. Yeah. I don't want to. I, I don't want the conversation to fully revolve yeah, around course. Facebook, but I think it's great to unpack. We're gonna to unpack those things we'll, and how it yeah, works. Yeah, we're gonna um, we're gonna move on. But ch- I just hold hold this thought: <clears throat> Trump is going to run again for the next election. While he's running. Social media platforms are incredibly powerful uh, in helping a candidate run for president. And if he's not able to use the social media networks, uh, that could backfire on them in an incredibly tremendous way. If he does win and they weren't willing to help him and he gets in, you know, becomes president. And if the, he has the House and the Senate, I would predict uh, Facebook will be effectively shut out of business. And tw- anyone who prevented him didn't enable him to use those platforms when running as a candidate and then he wins if he has the house and senate i predict uh, we will see the immediate suspension of facebook as a company and twitter as a company in america i i second that and, and we have far bigger problems than that if that happens by the way <laughs> <laughs> so, dan do you, I mean, that would you be want, the least of our you want to turn it to green tech dan is that a good segue it's <laughs> a nice transition <laughs> yes, a, yes, man, dan, oh, do it, dan. go ahead dan it's hard it's to how can well, there is a possibility to nationalize again. that actually like, my but, russian way is just nationalize the the, the company they, they don't like So I'm just wondering. Yeah, there's there's different strategies the, to employ. The, the the question is is what 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 would you do if you were a major social network and there's a president running for president, not currently yet president, so he's still a person. Uh, per per Michelle's point is you know well the president has a account but the individual doesn't. Well the individual is a candidate, and if you didn't, do you support them or not? Knowing that if you don't and they win, your company is killed. What do you do in that situation? No. You don't support them because that would help them win. If right. Supported them right. And, but then it it, it ensures the world. it ensures your survival as a company, perhaps. But do you, yeah, but I also want to quickly say destruction um, of your country of your of your country, let alone your company. Yeah. So, so you I also want to quickly with, say there is a difference. I just want to say there's a difference between a candidate running for president and an individual. Oh. So okay. That's news. That, that's breaking thing. news because well, I, I didn't. Know. I mean. Because obviously, um, I, I think in general, it's about being fair to all candidates if you're allowing ads. You're right. Instance, I think there, everyone needs you, to have the right to have. You like might be right. Running. There might be a law about that. You have to give equal airtime as publishers. But that's the debate was uh, Facebook and Twitter are not publishers. That's what Section 230 is all about. Well, again, oh. I can I, I can speak to that because I, I don't want to say things that right, right. Um, may not apply to our platform. But in general... 
Um, I give you an example for, for instance, in France, people letting Marine Le Pen run yeah. doesn't mean that they necessarily agree with with her stance, but it's important to let all candidates uh, run equally and have the same share of voice, at least the same baseline. Ah, but now we know why. We, we, we don't have. Uh, no, Dan, watch this. Equal airtime. But now, but now we know why the oversight board at Facebook, who made the recent decision to keep Trump off the platform, did say. We must revisit this decision in six months or so. And now we know why they said we need to revisit this decision in six months to keep that door potentially open to let them back on. Interesting. Anyway, by, th- by the way, Trump is Trump is president because we don't have equal airtime. He got that's my yeah, exactly. Well, Dan, this is my point is else. if by the way, if Facebook and Twitter don't let him back on the platform, that's going to, I think, actually uh, give him more fuel power. Because it will it will ignite his base in a way that's stronger than if you actually let him have it. But Dan, go get, let's turn. He'll also be in. He'll you, also you could just to look. run for uh, office while you're in jail. It's not impossible, but it's more difficult. So yep. Uh, no, we'll but see. the underlying I, the underlying point that Michelle helped us get to here is just this idea that different difference between. And we don't want to go down the you know because I have a different opinion on that, but that's not the debate here, right? So, but the 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 Michelle kind of the candidate versus the person versus the versus the president. That's very helpful, Michelle. Okay. Uh, can, can I just say okay, one quick thing? Do you want to go to green now? Okay. I know you want to play point, the... Could we potentially the have a, so, a room music? on social? What's up, Carl? At some point, could we potentially have a room oh, sure. under tech news for on sure. social? For maybe? sure. Because for I sure. think people could talk about this for hours. Of course. We will do a deep dive room on that. Whoever wants to organize that, just let, jump out and say, let's do that. And we'll get everyone in there. Uh, Dan, let's do that. Yeah, let's turn to green, 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 green tech news. Green tech. You asked about you asked about cement batteries. Yes. Oh, yes. Did you check out that article from Chalmers? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So uh, it, it's not a thing. <laughs> it reminded me. Remember when maybe you were a kid and you used a lemon to power a clock yes. or a little fan or something? It's it's yeah yeah. So you can do it. Uh, you can make a. a, a a battery out of cement, but it has um, an energy density that's 0.3% that of a regular battery. Um, of course, there's a lot of mass, so you can make up for it, but there's a, a whole lot of problems. They, they showed six cycles of the battery, that's charging, discharging cycles, and it was already dropping in energy after six cycles. So, you know, it would have to last. Remember, you can't change this battery out once you build your building, right? So it would have to last thousands and thousands and thousands of cycles. And it's, it's obviously not up for the task yet. And, of course, putting specks of metal and wires inside of you know, the building to you know, run all these wires everywhere would increase the cost of the cement tremendously. And you, know, you don't want to do that for a building. So I think this is simply one of those um, back to the drawing board. You know, professors got together and said, "Hey, <laughs> can we do this? Sure, let's go do it." And then, and then let's now let's imagine the world if we did this thing everywhere. And that's what that article is all about. The, 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 what, what happens in a fire? What happens in an earthquake? What happens in in, in areas that uh, get hit by large storms and tsunamis and hurricanes and that kind of thing? Well, you're it's right. Just, well, it's because the energy in the ba- I don't think it'd be so diffuse. It, again, it with, stores with that energy very little energy cares, right? per <laughs> cubic meter, right? It's very low density energy. It's just that you have such a big structure that you could add up to a lot of energy. So the, but I don't think it would. If, but anyway, the answer is that this is not going to happen. Got it. Un, un, I mean, with one notable. Yeah, maybe some special, maybe some special circumstances. Right. Yeah. And which would, yeah. th- that special circumstance is probably some 
uh, additive of some sort that makes the concrete more battery storage friendly. What's the word that they use? The nomenclature? If, right? uh, I don't know. For, the, the, how, how much energy concrete holds today? Like you said, it's 0.3% of... Uh, or the, en of the a, energy density. Of a lithium battery. Right. The, the energy density capabilities. No, but the focus on cement is to make it out of CO2. I mean, the, the focus of cement is to lower the carbon footprint of the cement. That's what we need to do. Cement is yeah, that's a totally separate conversation. Right? What I'm talking about is the. No, I know, but if you're focused on that, you're not going to be focused on like. Right. Uh, well, let's say, save your battery. point for another day. Let's keep the keep focused here. The idea of uh, improving the amount of energy that concrete could hold, of course, would be related to uh, coming up with new additives that you could add to the mixing of because the concrete gets mixed from a from a sand into a solid, essentially. If there were some, if there's some, if Einstein were to be uh, reincarnated and came up with some very special additive, that's essentially what would need to happen, uh, which there's no indication that will happen. But and then and then and then a miracle occurs, right? But again, the other problem is, I mean, it's a kind of very basic problem: is all batteries have a cycle life. Lithium ion has a pretty good cycle life of. Uh, several thousand cycles. And remember, for renewable energy, you're going to want to cycle these batteries every single day, right? You charge them during the day and you discharge them at night and that kind of thing. So, um, so you know, 10 years is, you know, 3,000 cycles. And uh, and that's like the limit of a battery usually. I and mean, that's a good battery, by the way. <laughs> so uh, this thing, first of all, is failing on that. It was losing charge after six cycles. So, Okay, they fix that up and they get it up to 3,000 cycles, let's say. Right. All right, so now you have a, a building that's good as a battery for 10 years, and then after that, it's not very good anymore. And what are you going to do, rebuild the building? Right, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. you know, so there's a lot of problems this is not addressing. This is just big sky thinking yeah. kind of thing. Uh, and anyway, yep. there you that, go. That's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I, that's I, a report I just on thank, cement batteries. Thank you for that. Akil? That, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know how many of you remember, but Tesla patented this new battery tech, which reduced the cracking in batteries. Uh, cracking in batteries is how, uh, you know, the batteries don't have so many recharge cycles and they kind of cracked it on it and they're closer to the 1 million mile battery. Um, Dan, right. are you aware of this? Have you have you looked at this? What are I'm thoughts? aware that they're working on a million mile battery. My battery has 150,000 miles. It's down about 5%, so it's, it has a long way to go. I think they're... And, and remember, it, it, a lot of it has to do with... Um, the reason my battery is lasting so long, you don't actually, if you charge them up full and then discharge them full every day, they won't, then that's your, that's the cycle life. They, they won't last as long. But if you uh, charge them up to 80% and discharge them like that, you know, down to 20 or 30% and you don't really go beyond that, they can last a really, really, really long time. So, um, I mean, a million miles. So, so there's, there's that factor as well. But they are working to make these cars, I mean, remember commercial vehicles that are driven all the time, uh, they're built for a million miles and, you know, regular fossil fuel cars are um, built for what, hundred thousand miles, maybe a little bit more, but electric cars don't wear out and they don't have, they don't have the combustion going on all the time. So they can inherently last for 250, 500,000 miles right now. And then maybe you get a one battery replacement right. during that time if you wanted to. Yeah. And this is going to be important, by the way, when the cars are autonomous and they're driving 85% of the time instead of just 5% of exactly the time. Exactly right. That's when you're going to really want the million mile car.
Indeed. Anyway. Yeah. yeah thank you for coming. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you digging into that article. I had this. Uh, my assumptions were the same. Um, somebody else have headlines from their part of the world, uh, geographically or professionally? Go ahead, Hysum uh, and MedTech. Yeah. So I want to talk about an article that came from the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. It's J.P. Morgan takes another crack at healthcare, starting with its own. You may remember that J.P. Morgan and Berkshire Hathaway and Amazon were in cahoots with the thing called Haven that disbanded in February of 2021. Which makes this interesting is that J.P. Morgan basically plans to offer health insurance to its 285,000 employees, but their goal is to actually put money and invest in startups that help their employees right away. Uh, based upon the data that they have already collected from their fellowship with Amazon. So expect that J.P. Morgan will be moving into the telehealth space and and also to the wearables, uh, which will be really interesting. It is. Uh, and so they... Yeah, so this is going to be fascinating because what's what JP Morgan is doing is going to be similar to what Amazon is doing, but they are an investment bank. So they plan on actually putting a serious amount of money actually into these startups that potentially could actually have major ramifications in the med tech space. I've got the article right here. I just want to read a few points. JP Morgan Chase launches sure. new healthcare business after winding down Amazon Berkshire Venture. JP Morgan is launching Morgan Health to improve the quality of medical care for the bank's 165,000 U.S. employees and their families. The business will be led by Dan Mendelson, a health consultant who served in the Clinton administration. The new unit will also have $250 million to make venture investments in companies with promising healthcare solutions. Quite interesting. And JP Morgan Chase is going it alone, it says, after the healthcare joint venture formed by Amazon and Berkshire Hathaway and the biggest U.S. bank by assets was disbanded earlier this year. The companies each vowed to push forward in their attempts to lower costs and improve outcomes for their employees, which is true because we know Amazon is working on something separately. And now JP Morgan Chase is working on something separately. So it's interesting that uh, the combination of them wasn't able to produce what they were looking for. Um, now JP Morgan announced Thursday it's launching Morgan Health to improve the quality of medical care for their employees. At the new, yeah, we have the best healthcare in the world in terms of doctors, hospitals, pharmaceutical, and medical device companies. But we certainly do have to, we do not have the best outcomes," said uh, CEO Jamie Dimon. Said in a statement, "There are ways we can make significant significant improvements, and we intend to take a disciplined approach to solving some of these issues in a meaningful way. Uh, everything we do, we expect." to be doing in partnership with organizations, the new uh, director said, Mendelssohn. We're not looking to build tools and technologies from scratch, but rather to deploy the best in healthcare to work for us. And the work that we did with Haven, with uh, Amazon and Berkshire, uh, reinforced both the opportunities and challenges. We, we think it was an important step if we can capture the innovation happening right now and scale it in a way that benefits our employees and our families, that will be enormous boost for J.P. Morgan and ultimately could be an enormous boost for the country. Hi, some uh, and the other folks, MedTech, maybe if um, Heyman and others are on stage. I, as a geek, I don't find this particularly... Uh, it might work for their company, but it, it doesn't give me a lot of inspiration that it could evolve beyond that, where the Amazon... I feel like Amazon's having a million employees. If they scale out a solution that works, 
Amazon having the resources and the the sales network firepower and distribution, they could extend it very naturally to their Amazon Prime memberships. And Amazon Prime could include kind of health services in a way. Uh, I almost think that's almost a guaranteed thing that Amazon's going to do because Amazon needs to keep growing their juggernaut. And the only way you can grow a company that big is to go into incredibly huge spaces like health. And so I think it's it's almost uh, uh, necessary that Amazon go into health in a very big way and go in it alone so that they kind of own it uh, and not be a partner in it with JP Morgan's. Uh, anyway, um, that's my guess. I'm curious what the health folks uh, on stage think. Which at the moment is uh, Heisem, I guess uh, our friend. Uh, okay, great. I, just, yeah. I was also going to give someone else a chance to speak. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of holding back. W- what I think will be interesting is sort of the investment and the startup component. Yeah, that, that, and if they that actually part's interesting, are able, yeah. yeah, and I actually think that that's what they're doing, right? So I think that really the the, the crux of this article to me is not that they are ever going to be able to rival Amazon as specifically connecting their employee base uh, with the technology that they're developing. But what I find interesting is how much money they're putting into these tech startups uh, specifically in the medical space, uh, which I have a feeling is it, they're using as investment to basically leverage uh, for populations, right? So if they basically come up with a monitor, if they come up with a device, if they come up with the platform, if they come up with the technological aspect, that's something that basically they could sell or invest in and, and market it to other people. Yeah, but at that point, right? They're, so they're, that's what I actually... Yeah, I think it's super interesting, yeah, but, but it's, it's interesting because that's the role of a VC traditionally. It's now JP Morgan is... I, I have something to say about this. Go ahead. It's a ruse. Dude. I think I think Amazon kicked them out of the partnership because to exactly what you said, Tyler, that Amazon realized we don't need them. We need to do this alone. JP Morgan Chase realized we still want to do something. Look at the population we have. We have our own people. We'll use that. It's a PR stunt. The truth of the matter is, is that they don't care one way or another about their own employees. Sorry, that's just my opinion. And they're using this, their employees. I mean, yeah, okay, they're going to do it. Their employees will benefit from it. But to your point about they're going to benefit more from the investments they're making, the um, technologies that hopefully they'll benefit from, that that's the larger play. And hopefully their employees will benefit from whatever healthcare they're provided with my hope is is that the gentleman that they've hired to be the ceo is truly in it for the benefit of creating a healthcare system for those employees because i don't really believe that that's what they're doing yeah well to that point i think it is certainly uh an announcement to the tech community that uh, jp morgan is entering sort of the vc space a medtech vc type role um I'm just inviting folks in the audience who have interesting um, med backgrounds, med tech backgrounds, and uh, uh, whether, you know, no pressure, Marat, but you certainly seem to qualify, <laughs> but um, if you're listening. Um, and anyway, but just just quickly, yeah, go ahead, do, Carl. do JP Morgan have any involvement with the health insurance industry? Don't know. Uh, I can answer that. They they do not actually. They they, they partner with healthcare industries, but they are do not have any direct correlation. 
interacting with them. Right, okay, because uh, that might make a bit more sense then, because it's something to tie together potentially, but without that, it's it's kind of agreeing with Tina. It's like, well, what is the purpose of this? But Yeah, yeah they, no, Wait, I mean, JP Morgan will, will do deals in the, they have yeah, an insurance line of business. Right? So, yeah. That's a whole separate game. Yeah. Cool. It's just a headline. Um, thank you for introducing. Privacy, mm-hmm. uh, data privacy uh, news. You want? Uh huh. Go ahead. Okay. Um, China calls out ByteDance, Guizhou, and LinkedIn for illegal data collection. One hundred and five apps, including some of the country's most favorite, uh, most popular short video platforms, were put on notice by Cyberspace Administration of China. The international watchdog found that the apps uh, were illegally collecting and mus and misusing personal data. So that's the headline. Cool. I've got a couple here as well. Uh, Poppy shared one uh, that I'll retweet showing um, swarms of robots could on Mars could dig underground cities. And they show uh, really interesting images of what these, like essentially um, look like ant colonies under the surface of Mars for humans. Basically, so we can look forward to a, a life of living in uh, human-sized ant colonies on Mars. Underground habitats have recently become a focal point of off-planet colonization efforts. Protection from micrometeorites, radiation, and other potential hazards make underground cities or underground sites desirable compared to surface dwellings. Buildings such as <clears throat> building such subterranean structures presents a plethora of challenges not the least of which is how to actually construct them. A team of researchers at Delft University of Technology is working on a plan to ex- to ex- excavate uh, material and then use it to print habitats. All that would be done with a group of swarming robots, which are essentially like uh, robotic ants, basically. They look, and there's a photo of the little robot with its little ant-like claw feet that can dig out sand. Um, so I I, I think I tweeted it already from the Twitter account. Let me do it again just to be double safe so you can see what, the, what these ant colonies look like and the little robots that are digging them. Thanks for that. We did touch on the news that broke um, in the last time zone. Google opening its first retail store in the Chelsea area of New York near its um, uh, a huge campus. There's one of the largest campuses globally uh, kind of built into the Chelsea neighborhood of Manhattan. Where they have, I have some space news, by the way. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I'll, we'll get to that. Um, Which is, yeah, let's get through that. Yeah, so this, um, the, the point of this new Google store, it's the first of their kind, uh, is that they will, it'll, it, you'll see a photo of it. Uh, I'll tweet it, and it looks exactly like an Apple store, to be honest, uh, where they plan to sell their Pixel devices and Chromebooks, of course, uh, but also the, all of their whole Nest camera suite and Fitbits, which is their newest acquisition. So they do have enough hardware now to to have a hardware store. And they're saying they will have experts on hand to help with technical things, but it's not sure if that means repairs, because God knows that opens up a Pandora's box and a, opens a, a can of worms. I'm not sure they're ready to deal with. Um, but has been part of Apple's secret sauce with their Apple stores, no doubt. So I will tweet that as well. Go ahead, Akil, with the space news. Yep. Um, so this is pretty phenomenal what I'm reading. The U.S. Air Force wants to beam solar power to Earth from space. Yeah, the, well, um, we're already doing that. The, the sun is, is one of the best inventions ever. It. it... <laughs> 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 that's the best line of the day 
Yeah, this is a big nope. I don't know. I don't Hold on, I want to ask Dan. Dan, what do we think about the sun? Is this like <laughs> the cutting edge green tech thing we hope it is going to be? Um, go ahead. Yeah, so um, the article says that um, they're building uh, kind of satellites that can solar cell satellites that can that they can launch into space and then they can kind of beam the solar energy from those things onto ground receiving stations. Uh, the problem apparently that they're trying to solve is that uh, when when US is at war, um, they find it difficult to keep their military bases on power 24/7, 365, and they're they're looking for a alternative for that. That you know, the sun's going the, to be here the for a few years. It's it's still very 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 new technology to send power wirelessly, even very short distances. So yeah, it, this um, is super I, new. Yeah. So. I have another news uh, related to this to top up. Um, NTT, okay, this is from Japan. Japan's NTT and Sky Perfect JSAT to develop data center in space. NTT will develop a satellite system that can process and store data in space. Uh, NTT will collaborate with uh, J- Japan's Sky Perfect JSC Holdings, which has the expertise in satellite operations. In developing the project, NTT is aiming to start trials as early as 2022, all being well. Both countries hope to launch the satellite in 2025 and roll it up for practical use by 2026. It definitely gives new meaning to the idea of cloud storage. That's for sure. It's mm-hmm. um, if you are storing data uh, not only in the cloud but above the clouds. <laughs> in, in a, in a... Oh, you're on a roll today. Aren't you? Oh yeah, well, here we go, folks. Welcome to the Tech News Comedy Show. Um, tip your waitress. But the it, it, it's act that that one is not so far stretched. Actually, what you're talking about because with uh, Starlink, uh, it's just information. It's not electricity that they're beaming. And the information, yeah, you can have hard drives in space and you can have a satellite receiver just like a Starlink receiver on it and it can receive the information and store it up there floating around. Yeah, that works. I, I would be interesting to talk to um, a data center architect about the benefits uh, and challenges with doing that. It's quite an interesting idea. But if NTT is doing it, if that's the announcement. They, they have a date as part of that announcement, and Cheryl? Yeah, yeah, they already have that date set. They will start uh, doing the trial by next year, and uh, they hope to implement uh, by 25, 26. I'm, I would be curious. to Maybe we can invite them to explain what they find. Why, why, Tomoko, yeah, why, Tomoko, thank you. I just read the, yeah, but I just read the, um, the, the, the title, but um, I will, I'm now Googling the... the... NTT toka, ah. Sky Perfect toka. いるとこ data security i mean that's where data gets very secure is when it's i guess Power. maybe it's maybe it's, well you don't have to you don't have to cool it down that well maybe i guess it is cold up there yeah yeah it's interesting maybe but by you get huge fluctuations of temperatures up there by the way uh, on the surface of the moon for example the, depending the on the biggest one is power for sure yeah yeah, how are they going to power it? Yeah, oh, solar. No, 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 that's my point. Solar, you've yeah. got infinite amount of solar. Yeah. Solar, it's it's safe, it's secure, it's powered. There are issues. There's logistical issues, yeah. and there's you know, but but power is the biggest one. 
Though there are there are magnetic issues to this, right? All data, I mean, if you put a magnet next, it's going to get wiped, and space is like the biggest magnet of all well, the sun and all of that. The question is, how safe is it? Uh, as well, is it is it easy? Is it are these things more secure on the ground in your sovereign land? Because if you throw up data up in space, is it more easily hackable there? Is it uh, a worst case? If you know, if they have a space station, they can come over with a robotic arm and you know take that thing right away from you. Anyway, yeah, will you you're pay four point four billion dollars if you if you get hacked? Like, what's happening there? You're you're also reducing a hop. You're reducing one of the one of the communication hops because you no longer if you're running like an exchange right. that has to distribute around the world, you no longer have to go through a cable or up to and a satellite and then back down again. You could just go straight from one of these data centers. I, I just retweeted the link to the Twitter account that Cheryl shared there. Um, Amazon unveils new mental health benefits for their U.S. employees and their families. Uh, retweeting this as well. Thank you, Poppy. Uh, and the stories from Healthcare Finance News, uh, a couple of the key points here. Uh, another former Haven partner, J.P. Morgan Chase today announced Morgan Health. Um, but the picking up where the former Haven initiative left off, Amazon today announced it is providing mental health benefits to all of its full-time employees as well to their families and household members. Amazon, well, now that this is where it gets interesting, is Amazon already employs, I don't know, a million plus uh, people. But when you factor in their entire households, that is like a maybe a 3x. So you're talking like 3 million Americans already. Um, so it says Amazon has launched what they call Resources for Living, a single starting point to access confidential in-person virtual mental health counseling with three sessions per person per topic available. Uh, it would fund up to 24 million counseling sessions a year for its U.S. employees. The services are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and include access to free counseling sessions in person through the phone, video, or text. So it's essentially a, a, a private uh, you know, FaceTime call with a mental health professional where your, where your eyes will be monitored where your eyes will be monitored. and and who's yeah let's let's hope that the um uh, confidentiality between the employee and the mental health professional doesn't give uh, the company uh access to to that information let's hope it's confidential best thing they can do is time away from amazon <laughs> yeah but i mean yeah that's that's this is the weird thing here is um a lot lot to consider in that i guess but it also, again, to back to my previous point, if this works out well and Amazon tests this out, you better believe it will come to the millions and millions of Amazon Prime customers. And then after that, it could potentially go far beyond that as well. So it's, um, yeah. I yeah, I mean, it's, it's Tyler, brand, it's Tyler, Sorry. this is a, it's a, this is actually a little bit more complicated as far as providing services in the United States than, than Amazon is letting on. And what I specifically mean by that is that in order to actually practice for a, a patient who's in the state of, let's say, Oregon, you actually have to have a medical license or to be licensed actually in that state. Uh, and so in order to actually get these individuals to actually be able to see people all across Amazon spectrum, they're actually going to have to make sure that every provider that they have is licensed in the state in which they are pr trying to provide those services. And what I will tell you is that having been through this process myself, that process takes about a year, uh, year and a half to get through uh, in the country. So they are they are posting ads uh, and they are trying to find people who basically have various uh, um, 
varies privileges in different states. And I get approached by them about like every three or four months because they do have multiple medical licenses. Uh, but th- this is a slow going process as they're sort of moving into the telehealth space. But you, yeah. you know and what the else? Other Go ahead, Dave. The other observation is, is you know, let's, let's make sure that we're, we're clear. You know, this is not out of benevolence. This is kind of like, you know, we, we're, everyone is aware of what's happening in the factories. You know, the whole, you know, you get in there, your every movement is monitored, your time, your, your spatial orientation, how good you are at your job, the KPIs. I mean, it's like, you know, it reminds me of the Facebook story of how, of the monitor that how those um, people are moderators, moderating, yeah. but they're not even allowed to, you know, say to their family. I mean, like, let's not kid ourselves that this is benevolence. Well, there's another factor, which is <clears throat> even if there is an agreement by the medical professionals and assume they have them in every state uh, to Isom's point, like in Oregon, um, if the actual app that is used, the physical or digital app that you open to have that conversation, the data within that app, uh, even if it's metadata, might be use, useful and used by the company, even though they're not uh, have the actual conversation um, audio or, you know, you, you see what I'm, because the app might ask them, oh, what kind of problem do you have? You know, a stress, anxiety, you know, uh, inability to sleep, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, before even connecting you to the professional, I, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that data might be used, et cetera, as you can. Not, not even that, just opening the app, opening that, that you'll be able to gather data knowing who is actually opening the app and how many times a day or in a month or in a given period that they are opening the app and how long the app is open for. You don't even need to collect any of the data, you know, after that. That still tells you a lot about your, the mental health of your, your employees. And, but I think that's where HIPAA comes in from the U.S. standpoint. So um, I would almost imagine that they would have to use a third-party site because of doctor-patient confidentiality. Um, and if, if they're able to get around that, I think that would be a big red flag um, for the entire HIPAA you know, um, policy, because it's designed to protect patient privacy. Yeah, and Lakeisha, if you if you report that you're off work, due to work related stress, and then inside this thing, it's a double click, and then, you know, it actually comes out, you're going through some family stuff. I mean, this is this is like, I, I agree with Carl, even the event of opening it, it was interesting, but then you get inside the delineation between whether they pay the time off or not, then then you're getting tread tread carefully in that space. Yeah, but there's also the fact that they're able to essentially quarantine uh, employees from going to non-Amazon affiliated uh, health prof- health professionals that could inspire lawsuits and things like that, right? So it gets very... Uh, Absolutely. You don't get your mental health time off if you don't use one of our accredited counselors. Oh, look, look at look at the lawyer here. So um, but, we... Th- yep. Just real quick. Uh-huh. I mean, there are other employers that provide mental health care services. Uh-huh. So, so, so I, I mean, I, I agree with the points that are being made, but at, at the same time, I, I think that it's important not to confound or assume that they're going to launch an Amazon mental health platform that their employees have to use. I mean, so I, you know, it's not universally offered, but, but I do know of other um, large employers in the United States that provide mental health uh, services for their employees in addition to other, um, you know, physical health um, services. Mm. 
Um, moving on for a second, the just a uh, couple quick. Uh, Robinhood, the wildly popular trading app, uh, announces what they call IPO access, which will let uh, Robinhood users buy shares in Robinhood before the IPO. So this is a, a absolutely genius uh, concept, which, by the way, Jason, my friend who's an angel investor in Robinhood, was saying they should do and uh, glad they're taking his advice. I think that is truly a genius move to um, to uh, for the Robinhood users to be able to invest in the company pre-IPO. What, what, I, I would, what it would be great if other apps allowed that as well. Um, anyway, uh, we are now at the top of the hour and four minutes over, and I'm going to save the rest of the fantastic headlines for when we meet seven hours from now. And there's a whole bunch of other deep dive rooms now because we cannot honestly have the conversations that we want to have during tech news around the world. So we have deep dive rooms on all different topics. You can find them by clicking on the title of this room and scrolling through the upcoming events. And there's more added every day. So you can check those regularly. But please do follow the tech news room and the Twitter account. And um, my apologies to anybody who didn't get a chance to jump in today. One, one call Tyler? out. Yes. Tyler, yep. can I do Tyler? one call out uh-huh. here? Just hang on. Sorry, I've just sent about the lunar gateway and the data centers because it's not feasible to go to Mars from the Earth. So that's why they are working in the in 